Okay, before I get started, I have to do my usual cleanup. So uh, on the front of the bulletin, it says obedience equals presence. And I never really got back around to that. So if you take your pen and mark out the equals and the presence, we'll do that on another time. What happened was I was had some self-imposed pressure on Thursday to get a title. So I thought I'd do something cute. And it just hadn't worked out. But... And this isn't a sermon or a teaching, just so I can be clear. This is an exhortation. And it's based out of Luke 3, when John the Baptist is preaching, and he says that God's going to come, I'm going to paraphrase, and basically sort you out, and some of you will do well, and some of you will burn forever. (laughs) And then right after that, it says, and with many other exhortations that he preached to them. So I'm in good standing. So, you know, and I asked for this. So I can duck. (laughs) I think I got all my bases covered. You know, last week when Tim was preaching, there were were three points. I wasn't here, but I heard uh, that you're loved, you're accepted, and you're valuable. And so no matter what I say this morning, that doesn't change. Okay? You are loved, accepted, and valuable in every way. And I don't ever want you to doubt that, because if you ever doubt that, anything else that gets said becomes condemnation and works. And that's not what we're about. So we are going to talk about obedience, but that will not in any way change your value, your acceptance, or you being loved, no matter how much you've messed things up, because I have too. Um, I'm not talking about who you are, I'm talking about what you're doing. Because our relationship with the Lord has to change as we grow and mature. It goes from being loved and accepted and valuable as a a dad to all of a sudden becoming a co-laborer with him and the Holy Spirit in what he's doing in the earth. And um, it has to move forward. If you're not doing something, you know, God says in, uh, I think it's Samuel, that he desires obedience more than sacrifice. He just wants you to obey. And so that's what we're going to talk about. Um, You know, the Bible is full of references on obedience. Actually, when I started studying it, it it's like, well, this is like a six-month series. Because the whole Bible starts with disobedience and ends with perfect obedience. And everything in between is different levels of obedience, following the Lord, messing up. God fixing it, starting again. Uh, so it's, it's an, in a, for me, it's an exhaustive study. It's not going to happen today. I only want to look at a few aspects that may help you. Of course, whenever I speak, and I think the others that speak up here would say the same, that we have to go through this as we're preparing. So that's kind of why I like to say it, because I've already gone through this, and now I'm perfect and you're not. <laughs> yeah, well, maybe not quite. And I, I just remember my own story. When I, when I was a new believer, I obeyed pretty well instantly if I knew it was God. I, I just did it. I didn't question it. I think um, probably because when you're new, you, be, you remember what you've been pulled from a little more clearly. <laughs> and uh, I couldn't get away from it. If I knew God spoke, I just had to do it. 
And uh, not that I've got any virtue to that. It's just I was weak. He said, do it, so I did it. And, uh, you know, sometimes we say, well, God always does things for new believers. And I'm not so sure that's true. I think new believers are all in. And it's as we mature that we begin to back up and to begin to rationalize and reason some of God's requests. And his, when he says, I want you to do this, we're like, well, let's talk about this. Whereas when you're new, you just do it. And I remember when I was uh, trying to decide about missions, I was riding with my dad in the car. And uh, I think it was about a year after we felt like God was calling us into ministry that I finally said yes. I asked for signs. I remember I went to see Pastor Carroll one day. He said, you know, one day you just have to decide. I'm like, well, I want another sign. (laughs) So I finally got it. And uh, I was driving. My dad was an immigrant and had plans for the family and for me as the firstborn. And uh, so I made sure I was driving when we had this talk. And we're driving along, and I said, you know, Dad, I'm really feeling this call to ministry. And it got really quiet in the car. And uh, fortunately, he knew the Lord. And I said, You've, you walked with God. You know I have no choice. And he said, I understand. And that was the last time he ever questioned it. And really, the reason I'm telling you that is when God speaks as his child, you don't have a choice. You can't reason it away because it's inconvenient. And I think over time, I began to think that obedience was negotiable. And it's not negotiable. And it's scary when I began to to look back and think of all the times that I tried to rationalize away what God was asking me to do or wanting me to be a part of. And obedience isn't negotiable in any way. The definition of obedience, the general concept of obedience, both in the Old and New Testament, relates to hearing and listening to a higher authority. Just hearing from God and listening to him. Uh, one of the Greek terms for obedience conveys the idea of positioning yourself under authority. And by submitting to their authority and their command, according to the Holman's Illustrated Bible Dictionary, a succinct definition of biblical obedience is to hear God's word and act accordingly. And that can be through the Bible or through God himself, because he speaks to us both ways. And actually, I would add that he speaks to us through people as well. True hearing or obedience involves the physical hearing that inspires the hearer and a belief or trust that in turn motivates the hearer to act in accordance with with the greater desires. And this is the way we're going to break it down. Biblical obedience to God means to hear, trust, submit, and surrender. And you have to have all four of those. Here, you've got to hear what what he's asking you to do. Trust. And if I said, do you trust God? You would all say, yes, we trust God. Then I would say, how far? Submit, because this is where your trust ends. Everybody submits until your will is crossed. I always submit until you cross my will. And then I start making excuses. And I do the same with God, and you do too. And then finally, surrender or give up. 
And if you don't go through that whole process, you're always in danger of minimizing or compromising the directive of the Lord. And there's a couple of examples in Jonah of obedience not done well or not done right. And we want to look at both of those because I I have done both of these. And the first one is in Jonah 1.3. This is right after God's told him to go to Nineveh. And Jonah promptly decides not to. And he arose and goes to Tarshish. Jonah 1.3 says, But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. And he paid the fare and he went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. And I want you to notice this, that when... You disobey, you actually remove yourself from the presence of the Lord. Because he's in the request. And if you're going away from it, you're walking away from his presence. And he fled. And technically, Jonah went. God said, go, Jonah went. He just decided, where? And I have done this, where I get the general sense of what God wants, and I kind of mold it into my own personal idea of what that means. For Jonah, it was going to Tarshish. Nineveh wasn't a good place. It wasn't a great city. It's in what's, what's now called Mosul or Mosul. It depends on who you talk to. So if I missed it up to you, forgive me. Someone else will be happy. But it's in modern-day Iraq. It's dry. It's hot. It's not a great place. Matter of fact, uh, Nahum called it a bloody city in Nahum 3.1. He said, woe to the bloody city. It's full of lies and robbery, and its victims never depart. And he prophesied their complete destruction in chapters 2 and 3 of Nahum. So it wasn't like, you know, Jonah was like, woohoo, I got to go to Nineveh. He's like, Tarshish is a lot better. Tarshish was on the Mediterranean Sea. It was a shipping port, a lot of commerce, and a fun place by comparison. And at one time, when I first got into missions, I first got into ministry, most of the African missionaries, I was told, were in Kenya, in the high ground. Because in Kenya, in the high ground, it's usually in the 70s and sunny most of the year. Cool in the evenings. If you go up north, it gets to be desert. If you go to the coast, it gets to be really hot and humid. But this, around Nairobi and that whole plain, it's just beautiful. And so I, every time I would meet somebody from Kenya, they would be like, yeah, I'm working around outside Nairobi. And then, of course... Being slightly cynical, I would say, I bet you are. <laughs> now, I'm not suggesting that everyone that's in a nice place is being disobedient. I'm just saying it gets a lot harder to hear and to obey completely when your, your own appetites are being challenged. Now, for me, you could never trust me if I said God's calling me to the ocean. <laughs> just, I'm telling you now, I'm already lying. You just need to find out how bad it is. Because everywhere I go, 
I'm like, oh. <laughs> so everybody that's in a nice place isn't necessarily disobedient. Who knows if you're disobedient? You do. And God does. I can't judge. I have no idea what he's telling you. But what I'm saying is, as we desire and move towards obedience in him, we're going to have to deal with the fact that our appetites and our likes sometimes override what God wants. How you deal with that will be up to you. Some of you will need counsel. Some of you will need prayer. Some of you just need to fast. I don't know. I'm just saying that it's a temptation to always go the easy route. So what I'm saying is if you have a bias towards a warm climate, it's really hard to ask God about a warm climate. Because your, your focus of talking to him will be here. And often he'll be right here. Now, I love heat and I love water. And I've been sent to three completely landlocked countries. One of them is double landlocked. <laughs> You've got to get through two countries to get to any water. That doesn't mean I heard or obeyed right. Maybe I was just trying to be a martyr. <laughs> Hopefully I was, and I get a crown. <laughs> the second is in Jonah chapter 3. Well, in chapter 3, God restates the promise. He gives him the original word again. He gets a do-over. How many of us have had do-overs? I'll probably have one this week. Don't ask my coworkers. And so he restates it, and this time Jonah goes, and it looks like he obeys better, except he doesn't do it in the character and nature of God. He comes and he delivers the word, and they repent, and he pouts. In Jonah 4, 1 and 2, it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he became angry. And so he prayed to the Lord and said, Oh, Lord, was this not what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore, I fled previously to Tarshish, for I know that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. And I think he had a bias against the people of Nineveh. And so even in his obedience... He wasn't completely obedient because he didn't represent the God of the Bible. He just went and spewed the word and they actually responded. Which, if you think about it, God uses everything. Because if you go back in chapter 1, you know, he's sleeping in the boat while it's being destroyed. Which, I haven't figured out how anybody did, does that. I'm thinking, Jesus, okay. He could pull it off. But Jonah, he's in complete disobedience and he's sleeping in the boat. So I don't get that. But around verse 16 of chapter 1, it says that they finally had enough. They throw him over. They cry out to the God. They make vows. And apparently they all got saved in Jonah's dis disobedience. And I, I get tickled at the dialogue because they're like, what have you done? He goes, yeah, it's me. Throw me over. And then they're like, we don't want to do that. So they try a little harder for a while, and then they finally say, sorry, we've got to throw you over. And he just goes. It's just, it reminds me of a Monty Python skit. 
you know, <laughs> where they throw themselves off the boat. <laughs> so he delivers the message. They receive it. Can you imagine a whole city repenting while you're whining about having to tell them what God said? You know, if you don't repent, God's going to destroy you. But I know he won't because he relents. And then they get saved and then he pouts. And you can read the rest of the book. And on a side note, it's a great example of God's ways being higher than our ways. Because when we want destruction and we want death and we want somebody to pay, God says, I don't need anybody to pay. I've paid. I want restoration. I want healing. I want everything good. And if you ever doubt his goodness, you'll never submit to his authority. You'll always be afraid of him. Another point uh, in Jonah, well, in Jonah, I already said this in 116, is when the, the guys get uh, saved. And just so you know, any success in ministry is not necessarily an indication of obedience. It's an, more of an indication of God and his character. It's got nothing to do with you. It never did. And if you don't want to do it, he'll find somebody who will. And if you won't do it, he'll write it in the sky. Because that's the kind of God he is. He doesn't really need us. He just wants us. And so anytime I've had success or you've had success and you're tempted to think it's because you obeyed, no, it's because God is good. Obedience is for you, not for him. It helps you in your relationship with him. I want to ask you this. What biases do you have that keep you from delivering the character of God along with the word of God? What biases do you have that keep you from delivering the character of God with the word of God? I'll give you some examples. Do you have a bias against immigrants? Against other political parties or ideas? Do you have racial biases? Economic biases? We don't live in a caste system society, but we treat each other like we do. We act like we are part of a caste, even though we would say we don't. And you need to ask the Lord, what biases do I have that would take your pure word and mess it up so that it doesn't come out pure? Can God use it? Of course. But you'll miss the benefit and the, and the blessing of delivering what God has said. Because whenever it's successful and it's in his character and nature, you get blessed as much as they do. And if not, you'll be like Jonah. And you'll be bitter that they got blessed and you'll be pouting and asking the Lord why. I knew you would do this. Don't you know who they are? Don't you know what they've done to me? What about this? Have you been hurt in the church so that you are not capable of delivering the word of the Lord in the church? Because of your bias towards somebody who hurt you. We deal with it every week here. People who have been hurt and wear that hurt and deliver everything through that hurt. And even when God does something, they don't get the blessing. What is the character of God? It's primarily love. Of course, the Bible says that he is love. But you could also say it's the fruit of the Spirit. 
All of the fruit of the Spirit is Holy Spirit, who is God. Which means that anything you say must be delivered in the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, kindness, gentleness. There's nine of them. I could think of them all, but it would take too long. Okay? God, Jesus, Holy Spirit are one. If you're not delivering any message from God in obedience through that fruit, that grid, it's not producing a pure outcome for you. It might still for them. Because God in his goodness will always go after everybody. So why does God want us to obey? Why do you think God wants us to obey him? So he can say, I'm the boss? You know, if you have to defend your authority, you probably don't have much. I don't think God has to defend it. He is God. He wants us to obey so that we become Christ-like. That's the goal. He wants to look at you and see Jesus. And we're told in Scripture in 2 Corinthians 3.18, But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. And that's more than just looks like. That's the essence of his image. That's the resemblance of his character. And we're being transformed into that more and more and more. And that's the whole goal of obedience. It's not to make you run around like a puppet doing what God wants you to do so he can prove that he's got you. It's you running around doing things that train you to look like his son. So that one day when you get there, he'll say, well done, good and faithful servant. You look just like my son. That's the whole goal. Obedience is not to beat you into submission and put you in line. It's for you to walk in the fullness of being loved, accepted, and valuable. So that you actually understand where that love, acceptance, and value comes from. From the grace you received at salvation. It's that same grace that helps you obey. Without grace, there's no obedience. Because any obedience without the grace of God is works. And it doesn't produce life. In Corinthians, it says everything we do is going to be piled up and judged. And then the fire is going to come through and test of what kind it is. And if anything remains, you get a reward. If anything is burned up, you suffer loss. And then it says, you know, Paul was given wise master builder, wood, hay, stubble, blah, blah, blah. Be careful how you build. And then it says at the very end, chapter 3, I forget the exact verses, but... At the very end, it says, if everything you do gets burned up, you yourself will be saved. Now, how in the world can everything you do be burned up, and yet you're still saved? It's because the only way you can get saved is by grace. The power of God. Everything that you do in your own strength is going to burn. Everything you do by the grace of God is going to be eternal because everything he breathes on is eternal. It never dies. That's why people, even though all don't go to heaven, nobody dies. You can call it an eternal spiritual death, but you're still around. It just won't be very pleasant. Because when God breathes on it, when the grace of God is evident and active in your life, everything you do actually 
becomes eternal and carries with it a reward. Because it was him. And I think that's why when we get to the revelation, we all hand back the crown. Because we look at the pile and go, thank you very much. This is really yours. So he wants us to become Christ-like. In other words, we look just like him in every situation. Romans 8, 29. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Okay, He is the firstborn, and if you're a believer and in the family, you are one of the many brethren, or sisterin, but not a cistern. <laughs> Hebrews 5, 8. Though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. If Jesus learned obedience by what he suffered, how do you think we're going to learn obedience? It's not going to be by reading about it. Many times I knew God was speaking, I didn't want to do it. Often, I would say I have not wanted to do it. That's how I usually know it's him. If I want to do it, I'm always suspect. And suffering doesn't mean that you're going to be beaten necessarily or martyred. Maybe you're at your job and you get passed over for an obvious promotion. And yet you know you're supposed to be there. And in obedience, you suffer by staying and keeping your mouth shut. I can't tell you if that's it or not. I'm just saying, don't think of these big Things like, well, you know, I'm going to go to the mission field and, you know, I probably won't come back and it's really bad. It could be your job is really bad, but that's what you've got now. And he said, stay. Could be your marriage is suffering right now. And he's saying, stay. I don't know what it is. All you have to do is ask him. He'll tell you. And any time there is a resistance to what God is saying, it has come completely head, head on into something in you that needs to be removed. Whether it's frustration, anger, bitterness, I don't know what it is. But if there's any resistance, you don't have complete trust. You've hit your limit. You've gotten to where your will is now being crossed. And you're not willing to give it up. And you need to take that to him. Because unless you are perfectly obedient like Jesus, you can't become like him. And every one of us has a threshold where we begin to pull back and say, that's enough. And you will get to heaven because you were saved by grace. But you won't enjoy the benefits of being left on the earth for a season while the kingdom expands and gets established. And in every difficult situation I've ever been in, in obedience, there has been a source of joy in the middle of it. Even if it wasn't fun, it's been joyful. And I would much rather have joy than happiness. Because joy is internal and it can't be taken from you. And happiness will depend on the last thing you either were told or were given. Biblical obedience means to hear, trust, submit, and surrender to God. And all four of those have to be present for it to produce in you what it's supposed to do, which is make you like Jesus in every way. 
And have you ever been around someone who really gets it and has understood it? I've been around guys that were, you know, I'm kind of embarrassed to be with them because I know I'm bringing their stock down. <laughs> I'm like, maybe I could be, you know, maybe you need government funding. Here I am. <laughs> but they, they're with Jesus. They walk with him. They allow the Holy Spirit to speak to them. They obey 100% completely. And when you get in their area, conviction's automatically there. I hate it. I was with an Egyptian guy who gets up every morning at 3 a.m. and prays till 8. And he fasts one or two meals every day. And I get within 10 feet of him and I start repenting and crying. And he's the most unassuming, Christ-like man I've ever met. And it's amazing to be in his presence. And he would never, ever tell you he's anything because he fully understands the great chasm between God and us and he realizes that he's on the same journey we all are which is Christ likeness and once you begin the journey and see the fruit of the journey it's easier to commit to staying in the journey because there's nothing like it where you actually become just like Jesus which is what you serve you love, you suffer, not what you think. And he was obedient, Jesus was, to the point of death. Philippians 2.8, being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death of the cross. Do you remember where that happened? Because it didn't happen the day he was crucified. It happened in Matthew 26 in the garden where he was faced with the choice to obey God. And what did he say three times? I don't want to die, but not my will, but yours. We all have a garden that we have to get to to decide what's going to happen later. So when we see him go to the cross, that was decided in Matthew 26 wasn't something that happened the morning they took him. He, he never mentioned it again after he said yes. That's the ultimate sacrifice. And he was our example, and we have to be willing to do that. Not that you will. You have to be willing to do that if you ever want to walk in the fullness, the complete fullness of what it means to be loved, valued, and accepted. Because until you walk in that fullness, you can't give that away. There'll always be strings attached to what you're doing and what I'm doing. If your revelation of him isn't bigger than what's required of you, you won't make it. It's the same thing Stephen went through when he was stoned. The revelation of Jesus to him was much greater than the rocks and death. And if it's not for you, then wherever that, wherever that crossroads is, that's where you'll stop. And you know, I know a lot of people that uh, we were really good friends until I got into ministry. And then after about 10 days of me being active in ministry, they didn't want to be around me anymore because they'd already hit their, hit their uh, <laughs> go to Africa. It already hit their spot. 
That's how you get the call. It just comes out of nowhere. <clears throat> and he was obedient to the point of death. And that would seem hard if it wasn't for grace. Because the same grace that saves you gives you the power to obey him in every situation. And it's always available to you. And it's there. All you have to do is ask. Give me the grace. If you want me to die, give me the grace. You want me to love this person that's very unlovely? Give me the grace. And he will do it every time because he does it for you. Because you're being obedient, so you look like his son. He's not going to do anything to compromise what his son looks like. He's going to give you everything you need to look just like him and let you walk in the fullness of that. And we're all going to giggle because we'll know it's not us. People are going to praise you and you're going to go, they just don't know me. Paul in Romans 1 said, I had grace for apostleship. He had grace in Corinthians to be a master builder. You have grace for whatever God requires you to obey in. You won't make it if you don't receive the grace. And it's free. In Hebrews 2, it says, Jesus, by grace, was able to die for everyone. And if Jesus needed grace to obey, don't you think we do? To really obey. So obedience really is more of a willingness to partner with the grace of God than it is a decision and an act of the will. Of course, it initially takes an act of the will to say, okay, I'll receive the grace. But apart from that grace, you won't be able to obey. You just don't have it in you. If you did, you wouldn't need Jesus to begin with. But we don't. We're weak. And agreeing with God opens the door to the full power of God. And part of that agreement is, you can't do it. And you've got to be okay with that, because you can't. So I would say this, that grace is the unmerited favor of God, which shows up as the desire, ability, and power for obedience. Starting with salvation and everything else the rest of your life. Grace comes to do. So that you can do whatever he asks you to do. So since you have, would you agree now that you have the power to obey? Okay, so you're getting rid of your excuses. I don't know if you knew that. So then really, obedience is actually, whose authority are you under? Because we've just all agreed that we have the power to do whatever God asks us to. So the only thing that would stop you, if you think there's a higher authority in your life than him. Because if there is, you'll submit to that. I can tell you, whatever you're submitting to is the highest authority in your life. I don't care about your circumstances. I don't care about anything. If you're submitting to anything other than God, you are submitted to a higher authority in your own heart than God himself. And that can be that you think he's weak, you think he doesn't care, you think he's just some old guy out there causing you trouble and making you do things and jump through hoops. 
And some people think that. So I, uh, another question then would be, in your own heart, who has the highest authority? Is it you? And I'll be honest, there's times where I have rejected the grace of God intentionally so I could let somebody have a piece of my mind, which I couldn't afford to lose, number one. And then I had two problems. God wasn't happy and neither were they. I destroyed two relationships instead of one. Because at that moment, I was the highest authority in my life. Let me ask you this. Does the enemy have a higher authority in your life? You know how that shows up? Fear, worry, anxiety, hopelessness. When you submit to any of those, what you're saying is, God, you're here, but the enemy is here. And I remember in in, uh, Bible school and stuff when I was younger, they would say, you know, good's fighting evil. And you get this idea that God and the devil are kind of equally fighting, and we got two-thirds of the angels, and they got one-third, so we're going to win, but it's going to be a fight. And I think God yawns at our silliness. Because all he's got to do is, and it's over. It's not a fight. He only allows it so that he can watch his kingdom expand in the face of all adversity and be established. And we take pockets and we just keep growing and expanding. Pride is another indicator that the enemy is the king in your life. If you're saved and in the family, then you're only under God's authority. 1 Corinthians 6, you were bought with a price. You're not your own. I mean, basically, you can sum up the whole gospel this way. Jesus said, come and die. If you just get it over with, it's a lot quicker. And God always uses structures of authority, including himself. He is the highest authority. So he's not going to tell me to do something that New Life Church isn't doing if I'm supposed to be here. So don't run out here and go, I was praying and you're my boss, but God told me you're not a very good boss and I'm leaving. Okay, because you're going to get in trouble. He always uses structures of authority. But in here, he will guide me in obedience under the covering of the elders and leadership of this church. Anything outside of that, I shouldn't even entertain. That's called rebellion. If I'm supposed to be here. Now, if you're not supposed to be somewhere, I suggest you get out. Because confusion is going to come. And you'll be the one dragging it in. But once you're secure in where you're supposed to be, submission to authority is actually submission to God. And I can trust him even if my earthly leaders go crazy. And he'll take care of it. It's his problem, not mine. And results aren't my problem either. I just obey him. He'll tell me what to do. And he, what's he after? He's always after restoration, healing, and good things. The question is, will you do what he says? Because if you do, you'll become like him. And if you don't, you'll be a constant source of frustration to everyone around you. Because there's nothing worse than someone who says they're light who walks around like darkness. It's a lot easier to handle darkness who says it's darkness. At least it is for me. I'd much rather be around a heathen who knows he's a heathen than a Christian who tells me he's a Christian and he acts like a heathen. 
I'm just meddling. We're moving into a greater season of outreach here at New Life in the next few months. We have the new one coming up just down the street, the homework and hot dogs. We have greater connections in the city, bridge building, and I see that expanding even bigger than just, new, than just Louisville. And I think the, what's going to happen is the success in our outreaches is going to breed an excitement for outreach. And if we don't learn to obey what God says, we're going to miss, we're going to try to program spiritual transformation. And it will never work. We have to be in daily obedience to what the Father is saying, receive the grace to do it, deal with our own demons, our own biases, receive the power, walk in it, submit to authority, and watch God change the city in ways that we all dream of, but few of us are willing to pay the price for. Of course, everybody here is, but I mean out there. You'll have to decide that. But it's an exciting time. And it's, I think we're going to see things that we've only dreamed about and talked about. And we're going to see so many more miracles like we saw today. Where God transforming lives, not just physically, but spiritually and emotionally in a way that nobody ever thought possible. And you know what? If you looked at my life 35 years ago to today, you'd swear it's two separate people. Carol can attest. And a few others of you probably too. I'd rather you didn't. The fruit of suffering in obedience is his presence with you always in a tangible way. And we've, we've prayed so many times. God, let us feel your tangible presence. We know you're with us. We know you're in us. We know you're everywhere. Where are you? We want to feel it, and we want to sense it, and total obedience will bring you into the presence of God, and disobedience will happen. You'll be just like Jonah. You not only become disobedient, but you flee the presence of God, and that's the, the byproduct of disobedience. And so for the altar call, if the musicians would come up, because you've got to have musicians for an altar call, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's written somewhere in here. I'm only doing that because I'm bitter. I'm not a musician. <laughs> so I think what we'd like to do, I mean, to do an altar call for a message like this, I, it's one of those that I, if I say, do you want to obey the Lord, then come up front and I take a picture for the newsletter. <laughs> and talk about the successful ministry we had today. And you should be supporting me. <laughs> what I want to do is I, while they're playing through for a few minutes, let's just stay in our chairs. You can stand or sit, and let's just ask the Lord, am I disobedient in any area? Are there biases in my life that that cut out whole segments of the population because I can't deliver the pure word? Am I submitted to authority? Do I understand who you are? Am I moving towards who you want me to be? Am I in the right place? Not, Not church, of course you're in the right church, but... Just asking. Nobody else is going to know. It's just between you and him. And to the degree you submit and open your heart up to him, to that degree you'll move forward in your walk with him. And wherever you decide to stop is where it's going to stop. 
So, Lord, as we sit here in your presence, I ask by your Holy Spirit you would move across this auditorium in ways we've never seen, just opening completely our hearts to the the good, the bad, and the ugly. And we ask you now for the grace to deal with whatever we see. And we bless you. And we thank you for your goodness and your kindness. And your long-suffering with us. Bless you, Lord.